You know, the last thing that I typically need to do before uh, we dive into the passage is find ways to prolong the sermon. And uh, in no way, shape, or form am I trying to do that right now. But sometimes things just need to be said. So, I want to point your attention to uh, these six photos on the wall. Uh, You'll notice these went up about uh, ten days ago. This was actually um, uh, the conclusion of a partnership that we had with the village of North Syracuse. Uh, Many of you know we've been trying and and developing this relationship with the village of North Syracuse, uh, getting to know some of their officials, the mayor and the the Parks and Rec uh, director, and uh, you may not even know this, but this summer uh, the Parks Department is going to be using the downstairs areas of renovation church to uh, have their rain days. So about 30 kids will be in here if it rains, and they'll be doing their programming here, so we're able to just give that to them, bless them. We're making many preparations downstairs, cleaning, safety, maybe even some furnishing over the next two or three months to basically love and serve uh, the village and its residents and its kids. One of the other ways we've been partnering with them is they have given us access to all these antique uh, photos of things going, that have happened, uh, iconic places. And so uh, there are stories and whatnot behind each and every one of these photos. They gave us these and were able to say, yeah, this is our place. This is where God has placed us. Uh, in North Syracuse, and so that's kind of a neat thing, and you'll notice there's something on top of each one of them. Uh, the, the more red-tinted ones are our core values, so this is what defines us. This is who we are, uh, our core values, truth, uh, God, truth, love, and mission, and then you'll notice the ones in the middle really emphasize the two aspects of our mission statement, what we believe God has called to do us to do in this place, equip Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship, and to present the gospel to every man, woman, and child to the people that live here. And so we want this to be a way to uh, further reinforce where we are. We're in North Syracuse, and we treasure its its history and its officials and its people, and we want to love them and, and respect and honor that. And we see that God has put us here, and at the very same time, there's something that that we believe uh, God is going to do through us. There's something timeless, His, uh, who He is, His truth, His love, and His mission. And so, really, I hope this will just be a simple way to not only just decorate something that clearly needed color, this room, um, but really something to really reinforce and celebrate who we are and be a reminder that this is what God has called us to do in this place. And really... What I'm hoping to get at here, and finally arriving, is I want to thank Congruent Marketing and Paul Daly. He's probably mad that I'm bringing this up, because it was really their work that helped us put the design and the words on it. So if you see him or any of their people, give them a chest bump or at least a high five and say thank you uh, for the hard work and the creativity that went into that. Um, One other thing that we're working on with them uh, is uh, a marriage series. And so in two weeks, we're starting a new series called Together Toward Christ. It's been a long time coming. Listen, why are we doing this? It's real simple, okay? We're doing this because over the last two to three years, through our networks of relationships, both here at Renovation and also at Missio, we have seen 
uh, in our mid-30s, yes, I am in my mid-30s, not my late teens. Don't be confused, okay? Uh, We have seen so many relationships, the wheels start to fall off. You know, it's one thing if you hear one couple or this person, but endless stories of pain and struggle and people just needing help. And so it's our hope in this series to uh, address and recognize that a lot of people are going through some very difficult circumstances at home. Okay, so a lot of it is in response to that. But even more so, it is because it is our duty to be a church that preaches and teaches the gospel and how it applies to the most foundational human relationship, marriage. And so it's our hope that we can give hope in the midst of hard, difficult, struggling marriages, and even for single people to say, hey, you know, I know I'm single, but I still need to learn. There's still something for me to prepare for. What is this thing called marriage? Why, why does it exist? What does God want to do with it? What happens if we're struggling, and where is it headed? These are the kind of questions that we hope to address and answer in this six-week series starting in two weeks. So please be in prayer about this. People, this is where the rubber meets the road in people's lives. And, you know, if you look across culture, it's not just something that me and my buddies, you and your pals have been experiencing. This is something that is ripping apart the heart of the world, the heart of our country, as marriages struggle to find hope in the midst of difficult places. So please pray and invite people to it. Yes, I know we're a church that primarily and rightly so sends you into the world. Well, we're sending you with the message of hope for, for hurting marriages. And we're saying, hey, don't be afraid to invite people to come and hear. Don't be afraid to share it on Facebook because people are really needing hope in this situation. And here's the wonderful thing. We have it in Christ. And so that's where our attention will turn And we're trusting that God will do an amazing work. Can a six-week series fix all our problems? Everyone start laughing. No. But can it be a catalyst toward hope and healing? Absolutely. That's our heart for this series. We're excited about it. I hope you are. Invite people. Go crazy. Maybe we'll print up some cards, you know, and you can hand them out. Does that sound good? Maybe we won't. Uh, I don't know. But we'll do our best. The point is, we're trusting God in this situation. You may have seen some of the videos uh, on my Facebook craziness lately. Um, And uh, that's, again, what Congruent is doing. There's been five, uh, well, four couples and also a single dude that we've interviewed and kind of videoed. So we're going to see a lot of that. Some powerful testimonies are coming out of this. Like my jaw hits the ground at how God speaks through these kind of things. And we're, we're excited about what Congruent is doing. Uh, to to really, uh, again, give hope. Give hope to hurting marriages. Let's pray for that. Maybe we should just pause even now and begin to pray, and then we'll dive right into the passage. I promise I won't give you some cute introduction this week. We'll just get right in the Word. So uh, let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we give this marriage series over to you. But what we're really doing, Lord, is handing over to you something that has burdened us greatly, people, lives, families, marriages. Would you do 
an amazing work, a miracle-working uh, act in the hearts, lives, and relationships of the people of this congregation? And would you bring hope and healing through it to the world around us? God, we can come up with cool pictures and great videos and slick messages all we want. But if you do not move in the hearts of people through your word, by your spirit, it will come to nothing. We are working diligently, but yet we understand that we need you to work for lives to be changed. And so we lay ourselves and our work and our prayers at your feet And we beg you to bring hope to healing marriages. Use Renovation Church. Use all of Christ's people, for that matter, to bring you the glory that you deserve in the midst of marriages. We pray for healing, forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation, humility. We pray for all these things and more through the work of your Son. As declared in the Word, by the power of the Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for your patience in that regard. Today we are back into parables. So open up Matthew 19, verses 21 through... I'm sorry, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. This indeed is the parable of the wicked servant. Listen to what Matthew says as uh, he records uh, a conversation uh, between uh, Peter and Jesus, which is really an opportunity for Jesus to teach uh, about God's infinite mercy and how that affects us. Let me intro with this simple statement. We say all the time we want to give people opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Today, we all are going to have a very unique and clear opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to it, okay? So let's dive in and see it that we might obey it. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle one, I'm sorry, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, and that all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, 
and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35, Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of God and all God's people said. Amen. Some of you may not know this, but my undergraduate degree was in accounting. Yes, a Bachelor of Science in Accounting. You say, you don't fit the accountant type. Well, you're right, and that's why I'm, a, why I'm not an accountant. But I'll tell you what I do like about accounting. It's real simple. It's cut and dry. It's pluses and minuses. It's numbers. How much? It's, it's calculators, right? There's no real, like, subjectivity. It's just add, subtract, multiply, divide, you, you get a very clear picture of what there is, right? And I, I love uh, doing the banking at home and all that, and I, I just kind of love messing with the data. It's very black and white, very clear. You know, I love to quantify things. just love it. It takes the subjectivity out of it. It's just something I enjoy. When it came to sitting behind a desk and doing taxes, not so much of a fan. But I love order. I love to quantify it seems like Peter wants to quantify something, right? Jesus had just uh, been explaining uh, uh, what happens if a brother sins against him, this process of restoring him in the previous passage, verses 15 through 20. And now Peter is kind of uh, scratching his head, like, that's kind of a lot. Like, that's kind of a step-by-step process. It seems like a lot of work. Maybe I'm reading into it slightly. And so he's wondering... Uh, how often do we have to go through this process? Like, give me a number. And then I'm thinking to myself in his answer, what, like seven times? Like, maybe what Peter's trying to do is impress Jesus with his spirituality. How many of you find yourself in that particular situation? Right? There is this human tendency to impress other people and even sometimes try to impress God with our own level of spirituality. I can remember being a young kid, junior high, wanting to impress my youth pastor, hey, check out my journal, see how I'm pursuing Jesus, to get his favor, right? Kind of trying to impress uh, my, my pastor or something like that. Um, it's almost like Peter is saying seven times. Like, ooh, and Jesus is saying, wow, Peter, clearly you are a holy man. And, uh, but what, Peter, uh, what Jesus actually says becomes shocking. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or some would say 70 times seven. What a shocking answer. He gets a quantity, right? He gets that number. And so you may start to think, okay, so 77 times. So at number 78, 
on the 78th time you do this to me, I don't have to forgive you. Right? But no, see, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. When Jesus says 77 times or 70 times 7, what he's doing is he's giving in, in hyperbol- hyperbolic fashion, right? In, a, in, a, in an exaggeration. It's a, it's a way to communicate. He's saying endlessly, infinitely. No matter how many times your brother sins against you, you're to walk through this process of rest- restoration. Not just seven times. So you want a number. You want to quantify it. You want it black and white and simple. But here's the deal. It is simple. And yet extremely difficult. That the Lord's expectation on his people is that they forgive infinitely, endlessly. 77 times is a simple way to just say there is no conceivable limit to the number of times I expect you to forgive your brother that has sinned against you. It's a shocking answer. And even now, I I feel in my own heart, and I'm even looking on your faces, and I wonder if you're feeling the tension I feel. Because there are real circumstances, there are real sins that have weaved itself into your heart and into your situations that have plagued your relationships and that you know that that pain, even one time, is real. And you're telling me that no matter how many times, no matter how painful it is, that Jesus simply expects us to grant pardon, to forgive, endlessly, infinitely, Tell me there's got to be one sin. There's got to be one situation that's out of bounds in that regard. Yeah, but Jesus doesn't know what I've walked through. Jesus doesn't understand how many times and the level of pain and the personal loss that I've experienced at the hand of someone else's sinful word or sinful action. Jesus doesn't quite understand it. How could he say endlessly? How could he lay out an expectation that says no matter how many times your brother or your sister sins against you, no matter how painful it is, you are expected to forgive. These situations are extremely difficult and painful, aren't they? I think of someone very close to our family who years ago entered into a covenant, looked into the eyes of their spouse-to-be and heard the words, I love you, and heard the words, I do, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Such intimate, covenantal, loyal, promising, hopeful words. When someone says those things to you, it builds a deep connection. It's a mystery, of course, but it's something God does. It builds deep trust, great hope and expectation for a relationship. It goes deep to the soul, doesn't it? 
And then imagine, years later, the same person who said, I do, the same person who said, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, as long as we both shall live, that same person will look at you and say, I hate you. Uh, You're ugly. You're worthless. You're dead to me. So after that deep connection is established, could you imagine hearing the deep pain that comes with those kind of words that show an incapacity to love, an inconsistency with covenant, a lack of love and care and concern for someone that God has given to you as a gift. You see, it's situations like that that are is a simple example of the pain and the sorrow that we all feel when someone sins against us. Because of deep connection, there is now deep sorrow that comes with it. It hurts. It's a dagger to the soul. And it seems like that, that, that the idea of being restored and reconciled is simply insurmountable. It's inconceivable. How could I forgive? How could I let that go? It plagues me. Am I overstating it? I don't think so. And then when that happens time and time again, year after year, situation after situation, reinforcing that same sin, that same lack of care, it drives deeper wedge into our heart. Creates great pain and bitterness and just sorrow. Doesn't Jesus understand the pain we feel? We know he does, and yet we hear his expectation. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. No matter how many times, no matter how deep the pain, Christ's expectation on us is that we forgive one another endlessly. That's a powerful truth. It's a high call. Is it not? We may be wondering why. On what basis? On what basis? And hence the parable. A king wants to settle accounts. A very rich king wants to settle accounts. So he calls one of his servants in that owes him 10,000 talents. How much money is that? Everyone say, a lot. A lot. Guess how much? You could quantify it as how, how many years, did you say? 160,000 years of income. Or 60 million days wages. 10,000 talents was an insurmountable, inconceivable to ever pay it back kind of debt. That's what this servant owed this rich king. And so the king orders, uh, hey, Sell him, his wife, his children, all that he had, and I'll take what he's got. Bottom line, this debt was going to cost him his life and all that he knew in this life. But the servant came up and, and begged and fell on his knees and pleaded with this rich king, please give me more time. And upon hearing this plea, we see that this shocking truth that 
Out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of the debt. This hundred, what did you say? 160,000 years, 60 million days. I should have just kept to my step. Now I'm getting all confused. 60 million days. Wiped clean. Removed. You see, in that moment, when we see this, uh, this great debt, it, it really points a, uh, or paints a picture of the nature of our sin before God, doesn't it? Right? Our sin before God is an insurmountable debt. It's a debt that we could never pay back on our own. It's a debt that would cost us our life if it wasn't dealt with. You see, sin is no small thing. And if you want to understand the nature of sin, you have to see it as a debt that we owe to God. Right? It's, it's a debt that we owe, that when we sin against Him, when we disobey Him, right, it, we incur a debt toward Him. That is, we owe Him our lives. There's no way that we could ever pay Him back on our own. We do not have the capacity, the spiritual richness. We are spiritually bankrupt before God. We say, I've got nothing, I can't pay you back. And he says, well, on the basis of that debt, you owe me your life, right? That that if you eat of this tree, you will surely what? Die, that the wages of sin is death. You need to give God your life because of your sin. And it is an insurmountable debt that you have before God because of your sin. See, today we don't want to talk about sin. We want to remove it. We want to minimize it. But we see the truth of what Jesus is saying is that sin is real and it has created an insurmountable debt that we could never pay back to God. That's the nature and the effect of sin. It puts us in a place of incredible debt before God. That's what your sin has done in relationship to God. You owe Him your life in debt. But it also shows us the nature and effect of God's forgiveness. Right? Look at verse 27. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of the debt. That God understood the nature of sin, but he did what was necessary to assume that debt. You see, you may read this and say, well, nobody had to pay. But that's not the case at all. Who paid the debt? Help me out. Who paid the servant's debt? The king did. The king incurred great personal loss so as to set free the servant. The king paid the bill. The debt doesn't just go away, right? Someone has to pay. He doesn't just shove it under the rug. He doesn't just leave it on the books. Yeah, you just owe me forever, but we'll never make you pay it back. Kind of like a no payments, no interest deal with Best Buy, right? That's not what it is. That's not the nature of sin. That's not the nature of forgiveness. The nature of forgiveness is this, and herein lies the power of the gospel. (laughs) That Jesus, when he came to this world and lived a perfect sinless life, when he died on a cross, he did this. He took on the debt. He paid it all. That's why we sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Because that's what Jesus' death does. It pays the debt for our sin. And all those who place their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus 
their debt is paid. Someone say amen to that. So if you're feeling the weight of your own sin today, hear the profound truth and grace and mercy of the gospel. God does not shove your sin under the rug. He pays the bill. Fully, completely, decisively, in one sacrifice, Jesus. God pays the bill for your sin in Jesus Christ. So if you're looking for freedom from the weight of your sin, see the king and and run to him and plead with him, please forgive me. And here's the profound truth. He will. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. If we say we have no sin, 1 John, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we run to the knees of our Lord and our King and say, listen, you are all, you are all holy and all wonderful, and I'm a complete mess spiritually, I recognize the debt I owe to you. I confess the sins against you. Would you please forgive me? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. Amen? So if you're looking for freedom from the weight of your sin, it's in Jesus. You say, but the debt's infinite. So is the grace. So is the work of Jesus that secured the grace. Guess what? Your sin is no match for the blood of Jesus. It doesn't stand a chance. And that's the wonderful hope of the gospel. Hear it. Those who confess their sin and place their trust in Jesus are set free of a debt that they could never pay back on their own. And Jesus assumes that debt on his shoulders on that cross. And it is all that is necessary for you to say, I'm debt free. Think of the joy of when those student loans are paid off. Woo! No more. No more student loans. Imagine that feeling when you recognize the insurmountable debt, the eternal payback of your sin before God, and he says, free. No more payment needed. Jesus is enough. That's the gospel. That's what we preach here. That's what you'll hear here no matter how long you come. That Jesus is enough. He paid the price. Your debt is paid in full through the work of Christ. Place your faith, hope, and trust in him and say so long to guilt, so long to unrighteousness. Take it easy. Have a nice eternity to the accusations of Satan. You're free. The debt is paid. End of story. I don't know if I could say much more about that. But, verse 28, the same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is about five grand. It's not nothing. Raise your hand if you want five grand right now. Here's what I got for you. Five grands, we'll take it. I'm moving this month. I could use five G's. But compared to a hundred, I'm sorry, you're jacking me up, Alex. 60 million days wages, five grand is minuscule. 
minuscule. So this small debt owed to this servant who had just received the grace and mercy of God, he demands that the other servant pay, and this fellow servant in same fashion comes before him on his knees and begs him, please give me more time. And we would expect, oh, here's your opportunity to give what you have received. And we see this shocking Response that the servant who had just been forgiven demands payment, throws him into prison until he should pay the debt. While he had received forgiveness, he refused to give it. And I wonder if some of us here today can identify with that. There is a joy at the thought of receiving forgiveness, of drinking from the well of the grace of God. But there is a hesitation at best and a outright stubborn refusal at worst to give someone one sip from that cup. We feel that disconnect. We feel the inconsistency. We say that's not right when we read the parable, but the truth is is that this is this very deep and intense struggle of every single one of us. We love to run into the arms of Jesus for forgiveness so we can go to heaven and not feel bad about what we do, but at the end of the day, we really have a hard time struggling with the relatively minuscule pain and sin and unrighteousness that other people have had against us. You say, well, that's not fair. Why is it that uh, it's so much, it's monumental to sin against God when it's minuscule to sin sin against one another? I don't really know the answer to that completely, but a good friend of mine once said that the reason one is monumental and the other is minuscule is because of the dignity and the honor of the one you are sinning against. To sin against all uh, all powerful, all knowing, all holy God is a much more monumental offense than to sin against one another based on the dignity and the honor of the one we sin against. Think on that. You may not like it. You might. But it's minuscule. It's minuscule in comparison. So he goes on. The, 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 the king finds out And he calls him for what he is. He's not a grace-filled, humble servant. He's a wicked servant. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. I love that. Why did God forgive the servant? Because he deserved forgiveness? No. Just on the sheer basis of pleading. Because God is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He does not deal with us according to our sins, but according to his steadfast love. God forgives on the sheer basis that we beg him for it, not because we deserve it. He goes on to say this, 
Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? That question, you need to underline that statement. Underline that statement. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You see, those who have been forgiven by God forgive others. Write that down. It's, that's what happens. If you have truly received the grace of God for forgiveness, if you have, if you have uh, uh, received that mercy to be set free from your sins, if you have been forgiven, you forgive. It's, you could say it's a command. Yes, it's an expectation. 77 times. But I think it's, a, it's also a fruit of a root. That when you receive the grace of God, you give the grace of God. It's the, it's the response of receiving. Right? You hear the gospel, right? That through Jesus Christ, your debt has been paid. So when you hear that, you respond to it with joy and say, thank you, God. But then you also respond to it by saying, I forgive others because receiving it is giving it. You can't have one without the other. We have such a small view of the gospel. We want to be reconciled to God and not be reconciled to one another. But that's not the nature of the gospel. It's all-encompassing. It's a package deal. Reconciliation with God means reconciliation with one another. You can't have one without the other. You can't receive forgiveness from God and not extend it to others. Because that's what the grace of God does. So if you're having a forgiveness issue, you have a grace issue. If you're lacking forgiveness, there's a lacking of grace. Because if you have grace, you forgive. You extend it. Those who are forgiven are those who forgive. Ken Sandy says this, Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. That's what makes us who we are. We're not awesome. We're a mess. The only thing that separates us from a lost world is forgiveness. That's it. Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Therefore, they are the most forgiving people in the world. They're the most forgiving people in the world. Is that true of you? Does that describe your response to grace, your response to the gospel, is to say, hey, how can I share this grace with other people? How can I be a conduit of the grace of God? Look at what I've done and what God has forgiven of me, and you know, I just can't help but want to share that with other people. That's what forgiven people do. They forgive. And even in this moment, the reality of sin and pain is setting in, And we begin to wonder, what if we don't? What if I won't? Darn it. What if I don't want to? What if the pain runs too deep? What if I just won't? They need to pay. I'm grateful for what Jesus has done. Amen, hallelujah, praise Jesus. But the pain runs too deep. And more payment needs to be made. Some of you may be feeling that. Some of you may be so disgusted with another individual that you really feel that deep bitterness and that deep pain and the anger that comes from that. Listen, we all know that emotion. We all feel that. It's very human. It's very real. And yet Christ speaks directly. Verse 34, In his anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. 
So the one who was forgiven is now thrown in jail and is told to pay it back. Which, by the way, he isn't going to pay it back. It ain't happening. So he is condemned. Look at what it says. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. Every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Man, oh man, we want to start explaining things theologically now, don't we? This doesn't fit into my perfect little box. Hear the truth that Jesus says. If we refuse to extend grace, if we refuse to forgive, if we just in our stubbornness of soul say, I'm never forgiving that, that payment needs to be made still. What I believe we do is that we look at Jesus and we say, the payment that you have made is insufficient. More payment needs to be made, Jesus. And we have shown ourselves to be not just refusing to forgive, but in full rejection of the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ to save all of us from sin, to be the payment that satisfied the debt. What we're saying is, Jesus, we need 10 more bucks. Your payment is insufficient. And when we do that, when we refuse to forgive, we reject the all-sufficient work of Jesus, and we actually show that we have never truly, really ever received and drank from the well of God's grace at all. It's been superficial at best. Because if we have truly received it, what do we do? We give it. That's what grace does. Grace overflows out of our lives into the lives of other people. Those who are forgiven are those who forgive. So my encouragement to you is to receive the enormous and endless forgiveness of God today. If you came today feeling the weight of your sin, leave with that burden removed. Trust in Jesus. Receive His pardon. Allow His death to be enough for you in your own mind. Jesus is enough. You don't have to pay back God. Jesus paid the bill for you. If you're here for the first time embracing that and seeing that, please see one of the elders today. Please see us. Don't leave today without praying with us and talking with us about what it means to receive the infinite mercy and grace of God to forgive every one of your sins and to stand with assurance that you have been reconciled back to God. Don't leave today without receiving it. Be forgiven in Christ. But if you're here today and you are struggling as someone who has received grace to extend it. And maybe even for those who are struggling to receive it initially. Maybe it's because there is this relational roadblock. Because it's all connected. This anger and this bitterness inside your soul may be a relational roadblock between you and God. And it's time to let go. It's time to see the cross for what it is. It's time to see it and rejoice in it and rest in it and say Jesus is enough and to decide today, I forgive that person. Who's that person for you? What's the situation that brings great pain? What relationship 
has been ruined because of sin and bitterness and anger. You know who that is. The Spirit of God, I believe, is working on your heart right now. I want you to put that name down as someone that you today, on the basis of God's saving grace, on the basis of God's forgiveness of you, on that basis alone, not because this person deserves anything from you. They don't deserve squat from you. But on the basis of the finished work and the full forgiveness of Jesus Christ, decide today to forgive that person. Notice that word, decide. It's a very purposeful word. I think when we come to forgiveness, we emotionalize forgiveness Way too much. We wait till we feel like it. God, make me feel like it. I don't feel like it, Lord. And until it's sincere, I can't say that I've forgiven. I think we emotionalize forgiveness. We make it a feeling that we have. Man, I feel great about that person now. I don't think that's biblical forgiveness at all. So please don't conjure up some feel-good emotion about someone else's sin and hope, try really hard to feel better about it. That's not forgiveness. What I want you to do today is to simply look at the cross, look at Christ, and recognize and rely upon the fact that it is sufficient enough to make payment for the other person's sin. And your deepest part of your soul say, they don't owe me anything. I decide today that this person does not owe me anything. Their debt has been paid by Jesus. Make a decision. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision we make. Not guilty. Debt free. So whoever that person is today, that's my encouragement. You may not feel like it, but you can still decide on the basis of the gospel. As you've heard the gospel, you can respond by saying with sincerity, I forgive. Jesus is enough. He paid that person's bill. There's no more payment necessary. Can we do that today? And then guess what? Forgiveness is not just a decision. It is also a lifelong process. Make a decision today to forgive that person. And it is my expectation that you're going to need to make that same decision tomorrow. You're going to need to decide to let Christ be sufficient to apply grace, to drink from grace, and then pass the cup so that someone else can drink every single day for the rest of your life, whether you feel better or not. Amen? Why? Because those who are forgiven of all their sins forgive. Right? Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Amen? I pray the Spirit of God's doing work in your heart. This could be a major spiritual breakthrough for each and every one of us today. A decision to forgive. On the basis of receiving forgiveness. Let's not forfeit our forgiven state. Let's give people the grace we have received. Amen? Let's pray.
Oh, Father, we confess our sin. We know it is real. We know that it is offensive to you. We know that it is infinite. It has distorted our actions and our state before you. It is what underlies all of the human predicament, sin. And we recognize that there is a great debt that we have in your presence that we could never pay. And we deserve to spend eternity in condemnation because of it. But yet we praise you today together because of Christ who willingly took on the debt, paid it in full through his blood on the cross. We rejoice in Jesus today together. We receive his mercy. We receive his grace. We receive his blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And in response to receiving, we pray for the grace to give it. It's all about grace, your grace, your mercy that we have received, that we still need day by day to give to others. Oh God, do a work in our hearts. Give us peace at home, peace at work, peace in our communities. Maybe it's our very spouse that we're struggling with. Maybe it's the person we lie in bed with at night. Maybe it's that person we said I do to. Maybe it's a coworker that we always avoid. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor that's just annoying and keeps ruining our lawn. Something simple like that. Lord, may we be recipients of grace, but I pray that we would be conduits as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.